who ordained all authority. He is the ultimate authority. And so this month, as we get closer to Thanksgiving, which is next week all of a sudden, that's crazy. Where, where did November go? Next week is Thanksgiving. Anybody do anything cool for Thanksgiving? Anyone go out of state or out of town or does everybody just kind of hang at home? Corey, do you go out of state? Indiana, that's not technically out of state. <laughs> Indiana is almost as Ohio as it gets, right? Where do you go? Huh? You leave your house. Wonderful. Anybody do anything, like, cool? No? Okay. Well, just, all right. Just, you know, it's a family time. And you know what? Typically at church, when you get to November and you get to Thanksgiving, you're, you're going to do some sort of a study or, or talk on being thankful, right? And how we should be thankful. But I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. I'm just, I'm not doing it. And the reason is because y'all are old enough that we should know to be thankful, right? Now, if we were in middle school still, maybe we would talk about how we should be thankful that your mom lets you buy all of those Fortnite skins and all of those things that you shouldn't have. But you know what? Y'all are 15, 16, 17. Gage, are you 18? Josh is eight, squash is 18 years old. Man, I remember when Josh was like 13 years old. Crazy. He was the same height, oddly enough. <laughs> Different hairstyle. He had an afro back then. But you know what? In high school, we should know to be thankful. Did you know? I want to give you a couple of, of things. As, as I'm not talking about being thankful, I'm going to tell you about being thankful. Did you know that if you would work at a fast food job and make minimum wage and, and work about 20 hours a week, just an average of 20 hours a week. Maybe, does anybody even fall into that category? Like, I work at a, a fast food or just a minimum wage job, and I work probably around 20 hours a week. A few of us do. Okay, did you know that if you do that, you are in the top 20% of the wealthiest people in the world? Yes, Mr. Furby. You are in the top 20% of the wealthiest people in the world working at where? Dairy Queen. There you have it. She is the monarch of... The ice cream establishments. She's the Dairy Queen. If you grow up and get married, and between the two of you, you make a household income of about $40,000, which sounds like a ton of money, and it's actually, that's, you can accomplish that. Between two people, you can make a good one-person wage. My wife have been, and I have been doing that for years, between the two of us making a decent one-person wage. And if you can grow up and make somewhere around $40,000 per year between the two of you, then you will be in the 6% of the world's wealthiest people. 6%. All because you live right here in America. And there's opportunities everywhere. We should know to be thankful, right? We should realize that we live in the richest country on earth. We should realize that most of us most of us, I'll say most because I know that there are people in our community that are hurting that we're trying to reach out to through this backpack food outreach and stuff like that. But most of us have never gone hungry in our lives without a choice. We should realize that each of us has access to fresh drinking water whenever we want. 780 some million people don't have access to clean water in the world and 2.5 billion don't have access to adequate sanitation. We should realize that we can be Christians like Ty said earlier, in this country without getting arrested by the police for it. So we don't need to do a series on being thankful because you and I should know that we're beyond blessed when it comes to being, 
er, earthly possessions and, and, and blessings and physical blessings. In fact, that's why we should focus on these serving opportunities that we announced a little bit ago. We are so blessed. And I'm sure most of you guys have awesome families and wonderful parents. And we should come together as Christians and, and try to serve other people and to bless other people, especially during these, this holiday season, right? especially during this time. And, and we're going to try to help our community and, and help people in our church. And so what I want to talk about this month is a result of understanding how blessed we are and understanding how thankful we should be. Because if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, if you would say that you're saved and you know you have a relationship with Christ, you should understand how thankful you should be to have that, right? If you're saved, that means that you realize that you and your sin means that you deserve an eternity separated from God. But instead, he showed, he showed you grace, right? He sent his only son to die on the cross that if you would place your faith and trust in him, you don't have to spend eternity separated from him, but you can have eternal life with him in heaven. And so of all people, us Christians, we should be the most thankful of anybody, and so if you're saved today, what I want to tell you tonight and through this series is that you're not called to live this life trying to just simply obtain the American dream or, or, or just go to the best college. That's not what you're called to, Christian. It's an okay thing. It's not evil in and of itself. But that's not your calling. If you're a Christian, Christ has called you to so much more. He hasn't called you to just make the most money and marry the best-looking spouse or retire in Florida after 40 years. That's not what you're called to, Christian. You have been saved so that you can be a servant. That's why God saved you. And so I want to take some time this month to see what God's Word says that the mind of a servant should look like. What does the mind of servant look like biblically? And so our passage for tonight is going to be Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Philippians 2, 4 through 8. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen for you. But I just want to read these couple of verses and then take a look at them and see what the mind of a servant looks like according to God's word. So when you got it, go ahead and look at verse 4. Philippians 2, 4 says, Look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind, there it is, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's what he did for us, Christian. That's what he did for all of us. And if you're in here today and you, you wouldn't say that you're a Christian or you don't know what it means to be saved, listen, he did that for you. He died on the cross. He came to this earth in the form of a human, in the form of a servant, although he was God the creator, and died a traitor's, a sinner's death on the cross so that you could have eternal life. And you can have that eternal life if you'd simply give your life to him and place your faith and trust in him. But more than that, look at what this passage shows us. This passage shows us what the mind of Christ looks like. Because in verse 5, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, colon. That's grammar. Do you guys know what colons do? They continue to expound upon the previous thought. So he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, continuing on. This is the mind. So that list in verses 6 through 8 is going to be the mind of Christ. 
who came as a servant. And that's what I want us to see tonight. Because this passage shows us what Christ's mind looks like, and it commands us, not suggests. Paul says in verse 5, let this mind be in you. He doesn't say, hey, you should really strive to be like Christ. No, he commands and says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's our duty as Christians to be servants, just like Christ was. It's our responsibility, Christian. So let's look back at verse 4 and just take this thing one verse at a time. Look at verse 4 again. It says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, at first glance, if you just read this, doesn't that kind of sound like it says, hey, don't worry about your stuff, but look at that guy's stuff. Like, it, it almost sounds like contradictory. Like, is God telling me to covet? <laughs> or is God telling me to be jealous? Like, hey, don't look at your, look at that guy's car. That's pretty, that, well, we should just know. That's probably not what it's saying. Of course it's not. What it's telling us, it's not, the verse isn't telling us to covet what other people have. What it's telling us is to notice the direction of our eyes. That's your first blanks. The direction of your eyes. And so I want to ask you a question, and maybe it won't make so much sense right now, but it will by the time we get to the end of tonight. What are you looking at? What's the direction of your eyes? What are you looking at? Because verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What are you looking at? What is the direction that your eyes are pointing? Because letter A... This is going to be deep. Are you guys ready for this? I know you've been in school all day. This is going to be groundbreaking, earth-shattering. You ready? Where you look determines where you go. Ooh. <laughs> now, unless you're walking backwards, then you got me. But typically, where you look determines where you go. That should be pretty common sense. If I'm looking this way, I'm going to walk this way. You know why they put blinders on a racehorse? Because they get distracted and start to run the wrong way. They put the blinders on the side so he can look forward and run forward, right? So, anatomically speaking, that's pretty obvious. But what does that have to say about our mind and spiritually speaking? Where you look determines where you go. Well, Proverbs chapter 4 is going to give us some biblical grounds for this. Verse 25 says, Let thine eyes look right on. And let thine eyelids look straight before thee, like, like the racehorse with the blinders on. Look straight forward. Ponder the path of thy feet. Think about where you're going. And let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. So God is talking about looking at the path that you're traveling in regards to where you're going in life. What decisions are you making? What is the path of your feet? Let your ways be established. Remove thy foot from evil. Are you going the right way? Because wherever you're looking is where you'll go. And let me take it a step further. If you don't change where you're going, you'll end up getting there. <laughs> so let me just take a little bit of an aside and say, hey, Christian, hey, non-Christian, whatever you're doing in high school nowadays, are you making wise decisions? Are you doing good things? Because whatever way you're going, if you don't change, you'll get there. You'll get there. You know, I used to do some prison ministry and some jail ministry, and there were guys in their 40s who'd been addicts for 30 years who had their first drink when they were 12 years old, and their feet went one way, and they never changed direction. And you know where they ended up? Right where they were going. In and out of jail, three decades. 
So I'm not saying just jail. I'm saying what decisions do you make? What way do your feet go? Where are your eyes going? Where are you looking? What are you looking at? If we bring it back to this idea of serving, verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What are we looking at? Are we looking down or are we looking up? That's the key. Write that down. I don't think it's on your study sheet. Are you looking down? Are you looking up? Are you looking at yourself down? Are you looking up at others? What are you looking at? When we're constantly looking down at ourselves and our things and our circumstances and our desires and my wants and my needs, I'm looking down and I can't see very far ahead of me. In Mark chapter 10, we see a story of a young man who was quite rich and he comes to Jesus and he wants to follow Jesus. Look at this, uh, this, this verbal communication between this man and Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verses 17. When he, Jesus, was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This man wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to go to heaven. Verse 18. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that's God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. At this point, when Jesus came to the earth, he hadn't died yet. He's ministering to the Jews, and he says, You're a good Jew, keep the law. You know the law, don't steal, don't kill, honor your father and mother, don't lie, just do that. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. He said, I've done all that. Is that it? Am I good? Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Jesus knows your heart, right? Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. What was his reaction? He was sad at that saying. And went away grieved. Why? Our favorite grammar, colon, he had great possessions. He was rich in the world. He was an American. He had a lot of stuff. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to be a servant. You have, I, I want you to go give it all away. You say you've done good works, that's great. One thing thou lackest, you're always looking down. You only care about yourself. He couldn't stop looking down at his things to realize that Jesus wanted him to give it to those in need. And when we're looking down, guys, we can't look up. I mean, that's obvious, right? But if we're always looking down, we can't look up. When we're pursuing our own selfish desires, we aren't pursuing what Christ wants. And so if we'll just shift our focus from down at us to up at others, we gain a whole new perspective. John chapter 4 and verse 35, Jesus tells his disciples that. He says, don't say there are yet four months till the harvest. Don't say there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Quit looking down. Get a new perspective. Look up. Lift up your eyes. And look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. There are people in need all around us. But you've got to change your, your perspective Quit looking down at ourselves, Christians, and start looking up at others and get Jesus' perspective. That's the mind of Christ. That's the mind of a servant. He doesn't look down. He looks up. Christ says, quit focusing on 
yourself and look up. There are hurting people all over who need Christ. And we can serve them in physical ways. We can provide food. We can do these physical things that ultimately just show your love and give us an opportunity to meet their spiritual needs, right? To give them the gospel, to share them Jesus' love. It's great to give people food and to provide money and to do all the things that we're trying to do, but if you don't use that as an open door to share the gospel, well then you're just meeting a temporary need and, and that's it. That's not what the church is called to do. The church is called to share the love of Christ. And so we do these things. We serve others so that we can serve them and share the gospel with them. That's why we should look up. Where you look determines where you go. So where are you going? Are your eyes always looking down? Are you, are you heading towards just caring about your own self and your own desires and, and those kinds of things? Or are you lo- looking and focusing on the world and heading to help those kinds of people? Letter B, not only does where you look determine where you go, but what you seek reveals what you desire. The word look obviously can mean where your eyes are focused, but it can also mean seek. In the Bible, in, in Acts chapter 7, um, they're looking for the first deacons in the church. And they say, look you out among the people for seven men. Look, seek, seek people. The word look can mean seek in the Bible as well. So it's not only important where we're actually looking, but it's important what we're seeking, okay? So let's look at some things that the Bible tells us to seek. Matthew chapter 6 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, temporary things, where moth and rust doth corrupt. Man, so this Bible was written, the words of God were written so long ago, yet it says don't put your trust in earthly things where moths can eat them and rust can eat them. Man, moths eat clothes and rust eats cars. I, I think God knew what he's talking about when he was talking to Americans. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Man, He's got us pegged, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Are you looking up or looking down? Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Did you know that where your treasure is is where your heart is? Where you spend your money, is it reveals what your heart cares about? You see that? What you seek reveals what you desire. Where you put your money is, is a revealer of what your heart cares about. And so if you only spend your money on yourself, that shows that your priority is you. If you give money to the church, it means that you care about what the church cares about. If you give money to missions, guess what? You care about missions. Your heart follows your wallet. And I know that you guys are young, but let me tell you, as you grow up, you're going to find out that wherever this thing is, you're interested. If you start dabbling or investing in stocks or day trading, guess what? You're going to get on your little app and just check and see how the stocks are doing. If you, it, it does, it, whatever you do, wherever this is at, it's where your desires are. So where's your money? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you seek, what you pursue, reveals what you desire. Verse 33 of Matthew 6, you know what Jesus says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these things will be added unto you. He says in the verses before that, God knows you need clothes. God knows you need food. God knows you need that stuff. If you seek first the kingdom of God, he'll take care of what you need. Maybe not everything you want, but if you seek, look the right way, 
He'll take care of the other stuff. Are we seeking our own selfish desires or are we seeking the needs of others? 1 Corinthians 10.24, similar sentiment to Philippians 2. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. It doesn't mean go and, and pursue to steal someone else's wealth. He says don't seek to prosper yourself. Seek to prosper others and seek to help others. If we truly love Christ, man, we're going to desire what he desires. And our eyes are going to seek after what his eyes seek after. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, if you're saved, Christian, seek those things which are above. What are you looking at? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection on things that are eternal. The souls of men. The mission, the kingdom of God. And all these other things, they'll fall into place. They'll fall into place. If you care about what God cares about, he's got your back. I can promise you that. Personal experience, I can promise you that. If you care about what God cares about, he's going to take care of you. So that's our eyes. Because where you look determines where you go. What you seek determines what you desire. What are you looking at? Number two, let's look at the contents of our mind. We have the direction of our eyes. Now let's see the contents of our mind. Because after all, we are talking about the mind of a servant, right? And so back to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? So what, what is this mind? Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, now let's not read too fast. This is an important verse. Because this verse is showing us that Jesus is equal with God. You got to get that. If you didn't know, Jesus isn't just some smaller G God where there's God the Father and then God the Son and he's kind of down here. No, no, no. Jesus is equal with God. Verse 6 says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with it. He wasn't stealing anything from God because he was God. You got to know that because that's important to salvation. And it's important to what we're seeing here. But even though he was God, what, he, what did he do? He made himself. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. Was, was God a servant? God's a king. He's the creator of the universe. But he made himself a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men, his creation. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the Roman cross, one of the most gruesome torture devices ever contrived to kill men. So with this established, let's look at the characteristics of Christ and we can see how that should determine the contents of our own mind. Letter A, you got humility. Christ was humble. Humility versus pride. He made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, the Bible says. He humbled himself. Even though he was God, Almighty created the heavens and the earth by speaking them into existence. Genesis chapter 1. He made himself of no reputation. He made himself a servant. He made himself in the likeness of men and he humbled himself. Let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're to be humble, not prideful. You know what humility is, guys? Humility is stepping out of your comfort zone. We're just defining it by scripture. This is what Christ did. Stepping out of your comfort zone. 
and putting your reputation, whatever that may be, aside to do what's right. It's, it's purposefully making yourself lower than others so you can serve them. It's the opposite of pride. You know what the Bible says about pride? Proverbs eleven two: when pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 16, pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall. James 4, 6, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. James 4, 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Man, that's the cool thing about humility. When you humble yourself and make yourselves intentionally lower than others, did you know that God lifts you up? If you intentionally lift yourself up in pride, God resists you. But when you lower yourself and make yourself a servant, you have the same mind as Christ. You have the mind of a servant, and he lifts you up. That's what God calls us to be, Christian. To be great in God's eyes, you've got to humble, humble yourself. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. Look at verse 8 of Philippians 2 again. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and next he became obedient. Obedient, let her be. Obedience versus defiance. We don't got to spend a whole lot of time on that. We spent a whole month talking about authority, and authority is all about submission and obedience, right? He was obedient. Well, what, what, was, what do you mean he was obedient? To what? To death. The death of the cross. In Matthew 26, before Christ is going to go willingly sacrifice himself and die on the cross, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays to the Father and in his humanity, he prays this prayer. Look at, look at this in Matthew 26, 39. He fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What, what do you mean cup? Just the cross. Let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus is praying in that garden asks him, Lord, if God, if there's any other way for this to happen, if there's any other way that we can redeem mankind, if there's any other way, let this pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Guys, of course serving is uncomfortable. Of course serving goes against our own desires. But nevertheless, we must obey the Father's will. We have to get to the point where we cry with John the Baptist. It has to be me that decreases and you that increases. Right? John the Baptist says that in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's all about his will and not our own. And if we're to be servants, we have to obey what our master commands because he gave his life for us. He paid the price. He bought you. Know ye not that ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You're not your own, Christian. John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. It's all about obedience, not defiance, not rebellion. Outright rebellion and defiance never pleases God. We saw that in our last series. It's submitting to his will. Submitting to what he's commanded us because if we love him, we keep his command. Well, what has he commanded us? Well, in the scriptures, he's commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves. He's commanded us to put others above ourselves. He's commanded us to serve others. Well, then we need to be obedient if we're gonna be servants. Just like Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look back at verse eight. We'll see letter C. He humbled himself 
He was obedient unto death, the death of the cross. It's self-sacrifice versus self-gratification. This is what the mind of a servant looks like. This is the contents of the mind of a servant. It's humility instead of pride. It's obedience instead of defiance. And it's self-sacrifice instead of self-gratification. The things on the left are Christ's mind. All the things on the right, that's what the world thinks like, isn't it not? The world is prideful. The world is rebellious. The world is all about self-gratification, right? Christ became obedient unto the death. Do you think Christ wanted to die on the cross? No, Matthew 26 shows us. He didn't enjoy it. He came because he loved you. He came because he wanted you to be able to spend eternity in heaven with them even though you're a sinner. He came and sacrificed himself. He didn't come to gratify himself. So being a servant requires me to sacrifice of myself. That's the complete opposite of this world's system and the self-gratification that the world desires and seeks for, seeks after, looks after. What are your eyes looking at? Hebrews 10.12 tells us that this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, himself sat down on the right hand of God. Christ sacrificed himself on the cross. You know what he sacrificed? Well, he sacrificed his life, of course, his immorality, because he's God. He sacrificed his dignity as men spat on him and plucked out his beard and punched him in the face and put a crown of thorns on him and nailed him to a cross. He sacrificed his dignity. He sacrificed his throne in heaven. He sacrificed his life for you, for me. Let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what the world tells you? This self-gratifying world that we live in? The world tells you to do what's best for you. Buy what you want to buy. Spend time doing what you like to do. The world elevates self and completely ignores any sense of selflessness, any sense of self-sacrifice. It ignores all of that. It elevates self and says, hey man, you do you. Do what you want. Just do it, man. What do you want? Where do you want to go to school? What do you want to do for a living? Who do you want to marry? Who do you love? Love whoever you want to love. What do you want? You, 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 you. That's the world. Christ is all about looking at what others want and looking at what others need. And if we're going to have the mind of a servant and have the mind of Christ, we need to redirect our eyes and we need to check the contents of our mind. Luke 14, 27. Christ says, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me can't be my disciple. To be a disciple of Christ requires some sacrifice. It requires bearing your cross because God calls you to do the same as he, as Christ, to sacrifice yourself for others, to be a servant. So what, what does God want you to sacrifice to serve others? Let's just get a little practical. Does he want you, and this is something you need to figure out, what does God want me to sacrifice? Does he want you to sacrifice, and by the way, the answer to all of these is yes, <laughs> but practically what does God want you to do right now? That's the question. Does he want you to sacrifice your time? Some of your nice things? Maybe sacrifice some time with your family and friends to go be with others and to serve others? Maybe sacrifice some of your money? Christmas presents? I don't know. Maybe sacrifice next Monday night so that we can go to Midvale and serve people Thanksgiving dinner? I don't know. Maybe he wants you to spare some of your spare change 
or buy some ramen noodles to help poor kids who don't have enough food to eat on the weekends. Right? Maybe some spare time to rake leaves for an elderly lady who's in our church. I don't know. But if you're going to be like-minded as Christ and be a servant, it's going to cost you something because that's the nature of being a servant. That's how you think like Christ. That is the mind of a servant. It's the direction of your eyes and the contents of your mind. And next week we won't have Ignite, but next Tuesday, join us over at FBC for our annual Thanksgiving service. The week after that, the last Wednesday of November, we'll be back in the study, and we're going to look a little bit more, a little deeper into that mind of a servant and how Christ says that if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be the servant of all. So we'll go a little bit more into that in two weeks. But make sure you join us on next Tuesday over at FBC, same time, 6.30, for our Thanksgiving service, and we won't be in here next Wednesday. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I come to you tonight, and I just, I just thank you for your word, Lord. I, I just thank you that even though your word says things that are counterintuitive to what we may think, your word says it anyway. If we'll just simply submit to your word and sincerely seek it out and seek to know you and to love you and to desire what you desire, Lord, your word will change us. It'll conform us to your image, your word says. It'll transform our mind, Romans 12 says. So Lord, I just pray that we would seek this Thanksgiving, this holiday season, and for the rest of our lives to let this mind that we saw tonight that was in Christ be in us. I pray that we wouldn't seek to let our minds look like the world's, but let our minds look like what the Bible says a servant of Christ should look like. Lord, let us redirect our eyes from looking down at us to looking up at others and seeking the needs of others, Lord. And let these simple serving opportunities that we have just be a platform for us to, to spring off of, to start serving others and to start seeking others. And as we raise spare change and ramen noodles and and things like that, and serve the, the Thanksgiving Feast of Unveil, I pray that you would just be the beginning of us seeking others rather than ourselves, and that each of us would just try every day to get into your word and to look more and more like you. Father, change us from the inside out. Make us to be servants like you are. It's in your holy and precious Son's name that I pray. Amen.